0: Hello, friends. Thank you for listening to the Edison Chapel podcast. Usually, we use the podcast to record sermons, but because we haven't recorded some sermons in a while, we decided we'll record uh, talking through maybe several of the sermons in conversation that we've had, some of the stuff going on at the Edison Chapel service, and we would also put it on Facebook Live. And so. We have a camera set up off to our right that is spying on us as we talk, that if we look at the camera, we can see who's listening. Um, So yeah, thanks for being on the Edison Chapel podcast, Anna.
1: (laughs) You're welcome, Rod, How'd you
0: get involved in Edison Chapel?
1: Well, it was about 12 years ago. Mm. I met a guy named Rod Tucker, and then we got married. So, here I am involved.
0: <laughs> here we are involved in it. Um,
1: my name's Anna Joy, and I'm Rod's husband. Nope, Rod's my husband.
0: And you're my husband. I am
1: his husband.
0: Which is all right. So we we were looking through the podcast, and we had done a series on First John, and that got uploaded for people to listen to. But then we had been working our way through the Beatitudes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of those got recorded, so we're going to talk through them a little bit. I like the Beatitudes in Luke more than the Beatitudes in Matthew. Do you have a preference?
1: Um, I think the Beatitudes in Luke are a little simpler, like more succinct, but no, I like them both.
0: The reason I like Luke is because of one verse. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit.
1: Mm.
0: Luke says, blessed are the poor. Yeah. I think Americans, North Americans, maybe minus Canadians, <laughs> um, like that in spirit statement because we can justify not caring for the true poor. Mm. And it's to me it sounded like you know Jesus is saying these verses: "Blessed are the poor." And then we're going, yep, blessed are the poor in spirit. Anybody can be poor in spirit. And all the while, he's, like, staying off to the side yelling, like, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was a stranger. And it, uh we just were like, yep, anybody can be poor in spirit. And it almost justifies our lifestyle.
1: Yeah, I think that um we have a tendency to want to Like, we all recognize our need for a Savior. And I think that the reason that Jesus saves us is... One of the reasons Jesus saves us is so we can kind of bring peace and um, his spirit into the world. And we want to kind of stay in the moment of salvation and keep being the ones who uh, need a Savior. And I think he's asking us to go find more people and so when we say like oh blessed are the poor in spirit that's me um it's different than blessed are the poor i need to go oh, i'm not really poor so i need to go go find someone who's poor yeah and i mean i've heard really beautiful things about the matthew beatitudes too but that's why we chose uh to use the luke beatitudes for edison chapel because we wanted to we liked kind of his angle
0: So Luke chapter 6, verse, what verse is it? Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you and call your name evil Because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for that is how your forefathers treated the false prophets. I... When we were talking about it in our chapel services, we we made a direct correlation between Jesus saying, blessed are you when you're poor, woe to you if you're rich. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's a hard thing, I think, for me to wrap my mind around because unless I skip over it, I have to take into account that I'm rich. Mm -hmm. Living in this country, what was it? I was talking with my friend Will the other day, and he said... The amount of money we spend on Halloween in this country could feed the world like twice over or something insane like that. It's billions, billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars spent just on a single holiday buying candy. And so to hear that, woe to you who are rich when I read the Bible and I've been raised to believe like I'm the good guy. When I watch the Hunger Games and I feel like I'm Katniss Everdeen and mm. I'm not the bad empire that's yeah. taking everything. And then to have this slow realization that, wait, like everything about the way we are in this country is the bad empire. We're not Katniss. We, we are the ones who are, who are living in excess. And Jesus is saying, woe to you, for you will go hungry. I didn't even know what to do. With that in my head, I feel like I, I felt like I needed a theological explanation to explain it away.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think when he says, you will go hungry, is that, or is that the part? Woe to yeah. you who are rich.
0: Woe well, to you who are well fed, now for you will go hungry. Woe well, to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort.
1: Uh, okay. I wonder, like, I wish I could know when Jesus said it. When he was speaking, like, literally and when he was speaking metaphorically, if he said, woe to you who are fed now, for you will be hungry, does he mean, like, you're going to be hungry? Like, you actually are going to need to have food in your belly? Or, like, you're going to be well fed with food, but you're going to be hungry for more stuff? Right. You know?
0: Because Jesus, you know, when he's in the desert right before he starts all this stuff, even in Luke 6, it's, it's the story where he faces the temptation to turn stones into bread. And it's like you can have this stone this temptation to feed the world. You can turn stones into bread. And he says, Man doesn't live on bread alone. People don't live by bread alone. Yeah. But everything that comes from the mouth of God. So if we value so much on comfort of our own comfort now, then all of a sudden we find ourselves starving mm. and we don't have the things that are just below the surface. Maybe. He's talking about that. Yeah. I like that Dallas Willard says the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of heaven we often interpret that as heaven that place where Jesus says I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go I'll be back to take you with me but the kingdom of the heavens is not heaven the kingdom of the heavens are the things that are just below the surface that we don't see Yeah. what God is up to Right. and you're receiving your comfort now if you're rich and that's it you're not getting what's just below the surface
1: yeah
0: and that's a hard word because a lot of our, a lot of church a lot of how we were brought up is very is very comfortable and it's explaining with poor in spirit how we can be okay where we're at in our relationship with God surrounded by poverty
1: what do you think that um, we're supposed to do?
0: I was hoping to build that up and then ask you that question. (laughs) I wonder if we just have to recognize it first. I wonder if we just have to bend our knee and like bow our head to the reality that we have lived in a culture of Christianity in the richest, most powerful country in the world. That we read blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are the poor. We can somehow equate ourselves with that and say, I'm poor in spirit. And then in doing so, we don't have to read the part that says, woe to you if you're rich. When we are rich and all of a sudden we're surrounded by poverty, we're surrounded by poor people, and we feel like we have done what we're supposed to do because we've attended a service. and, Or we've donated. Or we've went on a short-term thing. Nothing about our lifestyle is moving us from rich to with, to Emmanuel with the poor. And I think the best way that I've understood that is when Peter Rollins, I heard him talking one time and he said a good story in America would be about a poor person fighting their way up and becoming rich. But in Ireland, if you heard the same uh, a good story, you would hear about a rich person becoming poor and learning to give all their stuff away. Mm. And that would be a good story. Mm. And so I wonder if the first thing we need to do is just bend our knee and humble ourselves and say, I am the rich and woe to me. I'm receiving comfort now and I'm not receiving the things that can't be seen that are actually the good things.
1: I think it's super easy to, uh, well, I think it's easy for a lot of us, me included, to keep at a distance but do something that helps from a distance. You know, like like give a donation or like um Mm -hmm. like we're we're sitting in my jewelry studio right now yeah i make jewelry and the money that i sell it for is sent to an organization that fights sex trafficking Mm -hmm. and it's pretty easy for me to do that it doesn't it's not uncomfortable i i think it's super fun making jewelry and i've never even looked into the face of one of the women who it's supporting and I think that you know the organization that I support I know that they need that they need people's money in order to do their work and so I'm not knocking giving money I think that that's important and I think it's one of the strengths that we have as some of the richer people on the earth that we have money um, that we can give to people but I think that we have an aversion to actually being with the poor, because if we're not immediately fixing whatever the problem is, we don't we're, we're super uncomfortable sitting with it. When I've been with people who uh, are lacking food and shelter and love and connection and all of that, uh, it it's like it's really uncomfortable to just sit and mm-hmm. to be and to see it up close. And so it's very easy to to ignore it um, or to help kind of from a distance. And it's uh, it's not easy to go in and and be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, so that gives me like three thoughts. First one is about the nonprofit as it exists in the world. Um, and it's like, Organizations like World Vision, Compassion International, Children's Hope Chest, they come into churches and they say, We're going to help you love the poor and the way we're going to help you love the poor is through your donation. And there's always some level of let's try to have some semblance of relationship, but really, if you give us money, then we're going to be we're going to be boots on the ground mm-hmm. and we're going to get this thing done. And that's good yeah, because it's, awesome. it's practical, it saves lives. Totally and it lives out the gospel and it helps people who are wanting to live out the gospel, live out the gospel. I wonder if it is completely hijacked the changing of the lifestyle of the person giving the money. So I would never say like, stop world vision, but it makes me question if, if a place like world vision, the need for it to exist is because it's filling a gap of a Christian's lifestyle who. Would who would hear Jesus maybe vaguely off in the distance saying I'm hungry, I'm naked, I'm thirsty I'm a stranger, will you let me in but we're afraid of the stranger and so we would rather send someone else to go be Jesus to the stranger and then we can let ourselves off of the hook by giving resources toward that that's always a wondering I've had and I yeah. think I I go very extreme with my sure. thought on it but I think that
1: child sponsorship can be a really good net for getting a lot of people at the same time. And I think it can be a good entry point, but I think it's supposed to be kind of a springboard into a lifestyle of greater generosity. It's not supposed to be the ultimate expression of generosity, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be an entry level position. <laughs>
0: and when we, <laughs> so, so when the nonprofit, when they're trying to use it as the short term exposure, short term missions, exposure to change people's lifestyle, to be a catalyst. The people using it, oftentimes, you and I, we're the people who are thinking it's the thing that lets us check it off the list. When generosity in our lives is never budgeted. Mm. And so we have entire organizations and then entire families budgeting their generosity, saying, This is the part of our life that we're going to allow to serve the poor. Mm. This is the part we're going to allow to be our expense to the poor. And all the while, our lifestyles never change. And I wonder if that's because we can control this portion that we're giving, and in that way, it helps us feel like we are fixing the problem. But if we change our lifestyles so that we learn to sit and be with the poor, the naked, the thirsty, the stranger, the hurting, the victim if we learn to sit with them and be with, then all of a sudden we know what it's like to be Emmanuel.
1: Yeah.
0: And that might be too overwhelming for us because you get in those situations and you sit there and you don't know what to do. Oh,
1: totally. It makes me so uncomfortable.
0: That's my wondering. Like, what if God, what if Jesus is calling his church to just simply put themselves in that uncomfortable space? Yeah. And say, let me show you how to be church. Let me show you how to be Christ. Let me show you how to be Emmanuel. And then all of a sudden a verse like, blessed are the poor and woe to you who are rich, begins to make sense because our experience gets wrapped around it. And we've been in those places.
1: You said you have three three thoughts. I think those those were them.
0: I think those were all three of them. The other one that comes to mind is that Maybe it's the third or three and a half or four, but like, what happens when the comfort that we've already received, woe to you who are rich, you've already received your comfort, that comfort that we're receiving now that we exist in because we are in the richest country in the world, what if that's a call for us to let go of it Mm. so that we can be with the poor in a real way, not Mm -hmm. on a visit, not on a bus trip, but like to be with what do we do when our hand is clenched around that we cannot get rid of that comfort because we are receiving it now and we know that Jesus is saying woe to you like not woe to you like I'm judging you but like woe to you you're not getting what's just below the surface that I really have for you Mm. and our grip is so tight because we're afraid of losing the comfort that we have and we can't see it. It's like Plato's allegory of the cave. Like, we're staring at shadows, and they're the most comforting thing we know. Behind us, outside, are flowers and trees and sunlight. <laughs> but but we've never experienced what's just below the surface. We've never experienced the kingdom of the heaven, so we hold so tightly to the thing that Jesus is saying, woe to you.
1: Yeah. You've brought up the short-term trips a couple times. What's say, Can you say more about your thoughts? I mean, as people... We, I mean we've done we've we've
0: done and that's why that's where it hits me so hard is
1: like what do what should we be doing I don't think you're saying we shouldn't be going on those what how should we be using those
0: or are you saying we shouldn't well I might be saying we shouldn't I I just think that we go and we come back and we experience reverse culture shock and in experiencing reverse culture shock, we get angry at the culture we exist in and the Christianity we exist in, but it only takes a couple of days or weeks mm. before we're back into it and we're gripped tightly around the comfort that we mm. have. When we're away and when we're with the poor, even in our own city, we experience a freedom, like almost like a freedom from anxiety, a freedom from depression, a freedom from fear. And I'm not saying... Please don't hear me say, this is the cure to get off your anxiety medication. Like, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, there's a freedom when we let go of our comfort that Jesus says is is woeing us when we let go of it and we go and be. But then when we come back and we're immersed in all of this comfort, it doesn't take long for it, I guess, the, to brainwash us again. Mm. The most harmful thing, and I think the thing that sparked all of this for me And my thinking was when I was in high school, I remember walking around Bangladesh taking pictures. We had done our mission thing, like we had put on our basketball clinics. At halftime, we had shared our Christian testimonies. Um, We had done all of these things, and then we were walking around taking pictures before we went to the next country. Mm -hmm. I think I went to Singapore, and then Bangladesh, and then Calcutta, India, like all in one big trip. And um, people were following us around. There was a young man who kept following us around, and he had been crippled from birth. You could tell so that he would like beg. And that was a thing you do in the caste system. And he was with us the whole time. He's in like all of the pictures that I have (laughs) from Bangladesh. And we hung out with him. We spent time with him. But then right before we got in the car to leave and we were going to leave him behind and go to the airport or go back to our hotel to pack up, one of my friends yelled, um, you know, Jesus can heal your arm, and then he slammed the door and we drove off. Hmm. And I felt like my friend had like been building up the confidence to say something in faith to this young man. But none of us recognized at the time, we're just going to go back to our own comfort, and we're going to forget about him.
1: Yeah.
0: And And even if he, he probably didn't even understand that statement in English, but even if he did, like, how does that communicate the gospel? And I wonder how much of our good intentions of preaching a faith and doing it in the short term is not communicating the gospel because we're not being with, we're not being Emmanuel. We're not changing our lifestyle to learn what Jesus really wants us to learn. We're going and trying to fix. And then on our way out, if it's not fixed, we're yelling, Jesus can fix it as we wave goodbye on our way back to the ivory tower. And that's, that's always clung with me. It's like stuck to me. I've never forgotten it. And so when I talk like that, I think people are like, man, Rod is cynical about other churches. And I've heard people be like, man, you need to stop talking so negatively. And like that my intention with like all of our intention with Edison Chapel is to say, let's be with. And I don't know if we're doing it well or if we will do it well. I hope we are. But the concept is be with. And then let let us actually, the process of us being Emmanuel, let that be the thing that shapes us. Yeah. The experience of being with will give us the taste of what it's like to be Emmanuel.
1: I think that's my thought with like the short-term mission trips that I've been a part of. I feel like if I, I would be mistaken if I came home and thought that um, the biggest impact that happened was me impacting the people. It, the bigger impact that happens is I'm changed. And if I can try to be responsible with remembering the things that I've seen and letting it change me and letting it shape me, mm-hmm. then I feel like it can be worth it. Because sometimes, you know, like I, I went to Guatemala last year. I'd love to go again. And... Sometimes I think like oh, that's like a thousand dollars for me to just go somewhere and get an experience and I mean I'm not you know I'm I know that I went and I played music and it meant a lot to the children but I I think the bigger impact was on me and sometimes it's hard to think is that it, it is it is it am I going to be responsible with that level of investment to impact myself, and I, I hope that I have been and I will want to be, um, I find, like, I went to the Dominican Republic, I think like nine years ago, and that trip absolutely changed how I see the world, it changed my gratefulness for what I have, I had never seen poverty like that before, um, and I remember coming home and just looking at my house, we, we were living in like a little apartment that was like a government subsidized apartment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I remember staring at the walls, how the walls came up and, like, joined the ceiling, and it was drywalled. Thinking, like, wow, this is a nice apartment. Like, my ceiling and my walls connect to each other. They're not just, like, it's not just, like, an empty... There's not, like, I can't see outside through my ceiling, you know? Like, I'm I'm sheltered in here, and this is a really nice place to live. And I feel like I... things like that can happen when you expose yourself to different um, cultures and it's important that we're responsible
0: Mm -hmm. well and I wonder if Jesus is asking the question you have access you have an empty room can you share your empty room yeah I remember we had you know several different people in that tiny apartment living with us (laughs) because we had an empty room and in our mind it was like we have an empty room someone should Live here, And I think those moments created more peace for us, and I think we experienced something that was just below the surface that we couldn't, didn't know was there.
1: And it was super hard, too, sometimes sharing your space. Yeah. You, you don't want to.
0: If somebody brings bugs into your home.
1: Yeah, anything. I remember we had,
0: I remember yep. we had to clear our house out yep. um, after one guest, but, like, man, there's something about saying, I'm not going to hold on to this thing. I'm going to do this, that opens up things that you could have never seen. It's not like more rooms and more money always. It's yeah. like peace, joy, patience. Yeah. When you were talking about the DR um, and what we bring and what we receive when we're with the poor, Isidro mm-hmm. came to mind in the song you wrote, Leper's Hymn, Yeah. which I wish you could sing it now. but um, Yeah, how did Isidro impact your life, I guess. Oh my
1: gosh. So, Isidro Um what was his last name? I wrote it down and I can't remember right now, but he he was a leper. We went one of the things that we did when we were there was we went to a leper hospital which like I th- I think we also called it a leper colony. I can never think of the correct term to use to accurately describe what it is. It's like an outdoor nursing home for people with leprosy <laughs> yeah Which so we like don't, we don't have we don't have anything like days, that here yeah. i can't think of anything like it except for if you took i guess maybe like if there was like a hospital with like a courtyard in the middle but even i don't know i can't think of anything like it but so we uh we went there one day to have like a christmas party because when we went to the dr it was it was uh they were celebrating christmas and We brought guitars and puppets and had a big show and, like, made balloon animals and stuff like that. And it was a super joyful time in their little common area. Yeah. There were some people with leprosy who couldn't get around anymore, and so we were visiting different people in their rooms. And there was, in many of, I mean, it was was a heavy place, but I remember it being kind of bright, Mm -hmm. too. But Isidro's room, like, I don't remember how I got in there. I think I was carrying a guitar and somebody asked me to go in with a guitar or maybe vice versa. So I don't remember, but I ended up in this guy's room and I had the translator with me. And this man, Isidro, he was old. He was missing a bunch of his fingers and maybe one whole arm. I can't re- Like, there was just so much of him that was missing that it was really kind of confusing to look at him. Um, and he he just was moaning because the the disease that he had was a nerve disease and it would basically make his nerves either, it would make his nerves go on the fritz and so sometimes that meant they would stop working which is why he had to lose limbs. Or sometimes it would just mean they hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. And so he was just in pain all the time and he was telling us through the translator that like he had some family members but nobody had been to see him for quite a number of years. And at that time I was really battling anxiety um, here at home I was just I was very anxious a lot of the time for my own comfort I was very afraid that I was going to get sick I was really afraid of storms um, yeah. there were just random things that just made me almost panic and a lot of it had to do with me feeling safe and secure and comfortable and I just remember looking at Isidro and thinking like literally all he has to do every day is lay here and hurt in pain with nobody and um I talked to him and I, I the the bible verse Gosh. is something I had been thinking of was um this bible verse that says we carry Christ's death in our body so that we can also carry his resurrection in our body and I was wearing like a cross necklace and it was super girly it wasn't like a cool heavy duty cross it was just like this little thing but I gave it to Isidro and asked if he could feel it with his fingers and he said kind of and I just told him like I want I wanted to give him a reminder that like the reason he is carrying death in his body now is because he was going to experience resurrection and healing and I sang a little bit um I've had people tell me before that when I'm singing they feel like peace and healing and so i yeah. believe that i mean it feels weird but i try to, i try to believe it and i try to use it like a superpower every once in a while and i just I do. like all right i'm gonna sing so i i sang um yeah. i sang some songs and i sang this one that i had written for myself um the lord god is my refuge and strength the lord god is the shepherd who saves the lord mm-hmm. god is Emmanuel. The chorus says, I will never be afraid. I will never be afraid over and over again. And uh, after that, I I used to call it even song. And after I sang it to a draw I renamed it Leper's Hymn.
0: Yeah. In honor of him.
1: Yeah. But that, I mean, that changed me. And I didn't want to tell that story for a long time when I got back home. Because somebody told, like, when you tell a story... I feel like your memory is shaped by your telling of the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: so if if something happens to you and you right away go and recount it to somebody, the memory itself gets a little foggier and your, like, script of how to tell it is the thing that becomes the strongest. I was telling that to a woman who was Mm -hmm. on the trip and she was so wise and she told me, you know, the Bible says Mary stored these things up in her heart when all this stuff was happening with the prediction of Jesus being born. Yeah. She was like, it's okay to not tell anybody. It's okay to keep it for a while you know and I think it was probably yeah. I think I told you maybe like a week later And yeah, after, you, I mean I didn't tell anybody For I, I, I yeah. remember like the first year after I got back I think I had told the story like two <laughs>
0: times <laughs> I remember you saying you're like you told me all this stuff when you got back and Chad just said it's true that really happens <clears throat> um, hey hey Brian um, you said you told me all these stories and then you goes, but there's one that I'm cherishing in my heart that I'll tell you another time I remember you telling <laughs> really? me that, yeah. I think that's true, but the thing that stands out to me when you share all of that is is that is the concept of Emmanuel.
1: Yeah.
0: You were shaped by Jesus.
1: Right. Yeah. Because you yeah. went
0: to sit with Jesus.
1: Mm.
0: And Jesus took the shape of a Cedro.
1: Right.
0: Who was a weird shape. But Jesus takes those shapes that are confusing to us and afraid, and we can be afraid of. Yeah. And when we go and be with him, we are changed and we're forever. Yeah. And you are changed forever.
1: Totally.
0: And that young man, like as I'm driving away in Bangladesh and we're, we're waving and my friend's like, Jesus can heal your hand. You can, I can like, remember his eyes.
1: Mm.
0: And it's, it's almost like Jesus was saying, I have grace for this for you. And I don't want you to forget who I am. I am the stranger. I am the naked. I am the cripple. I am the leper. And if you're willing to put aside your comfort to be with me, then I will change you and show you what's just below the surface that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And to think in this country, Christians, Jesus followers, all we get is that in glimpses. And then come back and wrap ourselves up in our own comfort. And then go get a glimpse and wrap ourselves up in our own comfort. Like, it makes me want to pull the hair out of my head. Like, no, we should. We need to change our lifestyles. Yeah. So that yeah, our lifestyle yeah. is shaped. So that when people look at us, they say, there's someone who is with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so people recognize our lifestyles. And they see us when we're in the shopping mall or the, the grocery store. And they'll say... You look so close to God, but they don't understand that that's because someone has taken and shaped their lifestyle around being with the poor. Mm. And so it's recognizable everywhere, but you have, we have to learn to do that. And I just, that's our hope with Edison Chapel, that we are a church that can be with. Yeah. I hope we do that well. Me too. I've been a part of too much of not that throughout my entire life. And it's all good intentioned. And I've been that with the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. But can we let those glimpses transform us? And, And are we willing to say, yep, woe is me, I'm receiving my comfort now. And because I'm not changing my lifestyle to be with the hungry, thirsty, naked, and stranger all the time. Um. I'm not getting what's just below the surface. I'm not getting the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom mm-hmm. of God.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things that's really important to take Jesus at his word. I feel like he talks very, very literally about being with the poor, taking care of the poor. He is the poor, all of that. And yeah. um, there are times, like there's times when we know that, like, oh I just, I just did something good. Mm-hmm. Like, I just had an interaction with, with someone poor, and I did something good, and I can tell. Um, and we like to share those, and we don't like to talk about, I still think you need to write your book called, And Then We Went Back Home. And, then and tell your street ministry stories, but include the ones that are just weird. Not, like, include the ones <laughs> that are like, we prayed for this guy's hand, and his hand got healed, and then we went back home. To show like it's part of normal life. But also be like one time we were out walking and we saw this lady and her friend on the porch and we asked if they could pray and they were like, No. And
0: then and we, then we went and, back home. Then we went home and watched Netflix. Right. Like <laughs> Yeah.
1: There have been so many times that like I try to do something that I think like, Alright, I'm really following Jesus' command right now. Yeah. And it totally bombs. But I have to take it on faith that like Jesus wants me to do it, even when it's not like this miraculous moment. Right. I I like to I like to buy candy bars for like people at the grocery store yeah. like the cashier mm-hmm. i'll say like what's your favorite candy bar and then like grab one and say this is for you and most of the time they're like oh thanks it's not like this oh my gosh you don't know what this yeah, means to me Snickers like, represents. my mom
0: is like yeah. i think yeah. usually
1: it's just like all right <laughs> i hope i'm doing something good jesus
0: <laughs> yeah well and that so so the church takes the shape of opening itself up to be Emmanuel. So I'm watching this. Chad's sharing a little bit about his pain story while we're here. Terry DeYoung just signed in. and Terry is, Terry is the, the main coordinator, the advocate for the entire denomination for the Reformed Church in America that I okay. used to work for. The last church we were at was Reformed. Edison Chapel is not. But it is how... Terry answers the question, how do we make space for everyone especially people friends with disabilities how do we make sure that everyone has space how do we make sure that the person with deep anxiety can share space with us and how do we make a way for a person in a wheelchair to be able to get into the space with us and everyone across the spectrum because we're all everybody if we're going to be honest with ourselves we need space made for us mm-hmm. and we're intentional about making space for ourselves mm-hmm. and then when we create things ministries we make space for people like us and then we unintentionally neglect yeah. and I still see Jesus outside saying hey what about me what about me and I don't think he's willing to come into that space unless we've made space for everyone mm. um, and church is so good at taking stances on things just so they don't make space for people and I think you go and Isidro transforms you Jesus uses Isidro is Cedro, to change your life so that when you're back doing something in this country trying to love, trying to be with the poor every little nuance in everything we do is answering the question of are we making space yeah. for everyone To be able to worship here, and to be and to exist here, and to be safe.
1: Yeah.
0: And if that's true, then we could say blessed are the poor. But until then, we have to continue to say woe is me, because I'm so focused on receiving my own comfort now. Yeah. So, (laughs) Terry said name dropper. I love you, Terry. (laughs) Um yeah so speeding through, we did poor think, and hungry,
1: yeah,
0: weeping we haven't I mean that was a good conversation. Maybe we'll pick up another one another time
1: yeah, let's talk about more of them later.
0: I think I wanted the people watching, especially if they're part of edison mm-hmm. Edison Chapel, to know when this whole coronavirus thing hit it's like we had to answer the question, how are we going to still to, to still fight to be in community together,
1: right. What does church look like now?
0: And so I thought, well I can set my phone up and preach a sermon mm-hmm. but everybody's doing that. So they're not gonna have a problem finding somebody preaching a sermon. Oh, yeah, sure. And they'll probably find somebody better than me. Like <laughs> just type like I don't know, type Andy Stanley in. He's better. Yeah. He's better. <laughs> so just listen to him or something. If you want a sermon or if you want a band. And so we didn't feel the need to like let's enter that kind of competitive atmosphere. Like we don't we're not gonna do that, but like and I don't mean that like, I'm not trying to say everybody that did that was wrong. What I'm getting at is like, I think all of our, the big goal under the surface, the big thing that we're trying to answer is how do we keep people together? How do we keep people focused? How do we continue this movement of the kingdom forward? Yeah,
1: well, if there's needs within the church, the all, like if there's a need for good, um, sermons being preached. It's being it's it's met. being
0: it's being done right now. And you should preach yeah. sermons
1: because you're awesome.
0: Well, but the <laughs> but, but the only reason I would do that with all these sermons out there yeah, on the yeah, internet yeah. right now is because I feel like I need to also be a voice. Yeah. And I don't. And I don't. Yeah. But what we need, what we decided we need is we need to find ways to plan together, to work together, to be together, and to pray together. Right. And yeah. so, um, Chad Farron let me use his <coughs> Zoom and if you're part of edison chapel like or if you're not and you just want to join up in a zoom meeting what's zoom zoom is a it's a software that allows for conference calls and you can download it and it's free we're going to put the link on edison chapel and next thursday night at 6 p.m we're going to zoom together again and we're just going to plan how to move forward in empowering this neighborhood and how to be emmanuel with people during the coronavirus um, this neighborhood is poor, and we are with it, um, and we love our neighborhood. And Edison Chapel loves its neighborhood. Secondly, Sherry Davis and I were working on ways that we can connect and just call everybody and be like, "How are you? How can we pray for you? What do you need? How can we connect?" So we're trying to get a, you know, directory kind of thing going. Mm-hmm. Old school. I love it. <laughs> I love
1: phone it. chain. <laughs> yeah, right No, <laughs> just just checking on each other and
0: being in a relationship. And then I was talking with Keith Platty. And at our last Zoom planning meeting, and he just said, we need to pray together. So he's going to set up a Google Hangout that we'll regularly gather on a Google Hangout to pray, spend time praying together. And I feel like that's better for us at Edison Chapel than everyone going and watching this thing. Like, for us, we'll gather online and we'll spend time praying together. We'll spend time planning together. And then when we execute, that'll be more efficient. So that's kind of where we're at. You'll probably do some live worship. You did one last night. Yeah. I hosted a watch party, and then your phone died or something in the middle of it. So. Yeah,
1: technology. Um. It was fun.
0: But if you're watching this, if you're not from Medicine Chapel, um, but you're a, a supporter, <laughs> if you're just a supporter in prayer, if you're a supporter financially, if you're just cheering us on, here's the thing. We're a simple, sustainable church trying to empower the neighborhood. That's the vision. That's the goal. We don't know what we're doing all the time. We know what we're not doing pretty good, but we definitely want to be following the Holy Spirit into what we are doing. So if you have expertise, if you have ideas, if you have support in any way, we'll take it. Um, And so, yeah, just participate with us as we do this thing. Even if you're... A long ways away. Um, God has really blessed Edison Chapel. We had a lot of innovation meetings about how we're going to move forward. We have a lot of things that we can do that are low cost and high time that don't need a lot of money. But one of the things we landed on several months ago, and we're only a few months old, but several months ago we were like, we need a a ministry house. Mm. And we would like it to have space and land in the middle of an urban area. And that's really hard. To find, And then right across from the school where we meet was a house on three lots. And it was expensive, man. Um, and it was just a dream. And we we got a realtor and we went and walked through it. And then a financial partner who wanted to remain anonymous just said, I'm gonna buy the house for you and let you use it. I'll pay all the bills, I'll pay all the utilities, but I'm just gonna let you use it for whatever you want. And so... <laughs> We were, like, ramping up to just jet into a bunch of stuff, and then the coronavirus hit. Um, But the house is ready, and we're using it. And we've been doing community every Thursday after worship, and now worship is off for a little bit. The chapel service on Thursday night is off for a little bit because we're online planning and things like that. But that was awesome.
1: Yeah, it was crazy.
0: Like, we didn't have the budget for that type of a thing, and people have really been coming through.
1: And people who are a lot smarter than us. <laughs> oh, a lot smarter than
0: us. We're like, we want we to do an urban ministry, and then all of a sudden all these people who know way more than us yeah. joined up.
1: Well, even with the house, I'm thinking, like, we were, th- we were like, going to fundraise and then get a mortgage, and then someone was like, you guys are only a few months old. No mortgage company is going to give you a mortgage. <laughs> we're like, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, right, right.
0: Good point. <laughs> I, you know... I got we got resources around the nation it's so good who are open to talking to us and sharing with us. We got people here. I was mentioned Keith Platy earlier who's an yeah. urban ministry guru and he right. just signed up. He's like, I'm on, I'm on board. Right. Um, it's been really awesome. I think the thing that has really empowered us when we talk about resources needed is we've we're surround people who are signing up to be financial partners, they don't budget their generosity. They're just generous and their lifestyles reflect it. And we've b- been able to benefit yeah, from that. It's crazy. And and I just, I'm so thankful because we constantly need more partners and we constantly run into people who are like, you know what, this is part of my discipleship. This is part of my spiritual growth. Yeah. And I'm going to live like this with Edison yeah. Chapel so that, so that an entire neighborhood can be empowered. And so that we can stay simple. So... Yeah, that's blessed are the poor. We talked through it. (laughs) That's better than a sermon anyways. Um, Guys, thank you for watching and um, being here with us. And Terry, DeYoung, I'll always drop your name because you are awesome (laughs) and I miss you. So, yeah. Anything else? Nope. Nope. All right, friends. Go in peace and During this season, please don't just get online and watch things. FaceTime, call, set up things where you're going to do things with people. And be Emmanuel, even if it's online. Because, man, that's what we need. And that's what God has called the church to do. Love you.
1: Peace.
0: The cling!